Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The Volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. They even have great same-game parlays. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. Monday's Power Rankings Day, right? So we're going to be updating our weekly Power Rankings list. And then I've got a long mailbag for us to go through. We're going to hit a, a bunch of teams around the league for that. Just to give you guys an idea of the schedule for this week, we have the in-season tournament, right? So we've got quarterfinals tonight and Tuesday, semifinals on Thursday, championship on Saturday. We're going to be working at night on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Tonight's games I'm covering in the morning, but I'm also working tonight. I'm just going on as a guest with some of the guys from Watch Playback, uh, Samus Fondiari and Mike Weisberg. 
they're, uh, we're going to be doing the Pacers-Celtics game. So go to my Twitter feed at underscore JasonLT, and you guys will find the link to the watch, the watch playback link to get into that room, again, during Celtics-Pacers. I've never actually covered a game during a game, so that should be interesting. We'll see how it goes. But we'll also have some videos going on during the week this, well, uh, this week as well, so keep an eye on my Twitter feed for announcements. But plan on nighttime shows on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday for the in-season tournament. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT for show announcements and film sessions. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them throughout these shows. All right, let's talk some basketball. So our power rankings list, we have two teams dropping off that were on the list last week. The Dallas Mavericks have lost five out of their last seven games, and they are bottom 10 in both offense and defense over that span. One of those wins also was that Lakers game where they kind of got shellacked in the fourth quarter, and it took a Kyrie Irving game winner in the final minute to steal that one. So they've run into a tougher part of their schedule and they're starting to struggle a little bit. It's something to keep an eye on. And then the other team I dropped off the list was the Lakers. Good times are ahead for them. They got healthy. They got Cam Reddish back. They got Jared Vanderbilt back. Rui Hachimura is coming back for the Suns game. They looked a lot more athletic and deeper against Houston. I actually thought that Houston game was the most impressive they've looked so far this season. There are also some encouraging trends, right? Like the Lakers are third in defense over the last 10 games, but they're still having issues with inconsistent effort, and that killed them last week. They had two really poor efforts on the road in Philly and in Oklahoma City. I expect them to be back on the list pretty quickly as, uh, as long as they can stay healthy, but for now, they are kicked off the top 10. So, which two teams are going to replace them? Well, I look at this tier in the NBA. I had a hard time with this today because there are a lot of teams. I'm going to split today's power rankings into tiers just to kind of give you guys an idea of the way that I'm seeing the league right now. But I view like... There's like this top tier of teams that have been the most impressive in the league. There's three of them there, in my opinion, so far. Just to, Again, power rankings for me are just regular season. I'm not talking big picture playoff stuff. I'm just talking like who's been the most impressive during these actual regular season games, right? So I've got like three teams on the top, and then I've got like this like very good tier, which is like teams that have been playing clearly better more often than not this season. And then there's like this long list of teams that like on any given night, they look great. And then the next night they look terrible and it's just been a really up and down experience. And the the teams on that tier are the Lakers and Mavs, like I just mentioned, the Suns and the Knicks, those two teams have good records, but they've played horrible schedules. Uh, The Suns and Knicks have combined to beat only four teams that are 500 or better at this point in the season. The Heat, the Nets, the Pelicans, the Clippers, the Hawks, the Rockets, the Warriors, the Raptors, the Pacers, and the Cavs. All of those teams, in my opinion, are like... All of them are capable of taking a leap and going up to that next tier or dropping down, depending on how things go. They're just they're just mediocre and with respect to how well they've played over this first 20 games of the regular season. But the two teams that I ended up bumping up are the Pacers and the Cavs. So let's talk about why. Number 10 in my uh, th- my power rankings for this week is the Indiana Pacers. They have a league-leading 124 offensive rating, a preposterous, 128 offensive rating over their last 12 games. <laughs> it's 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 completely absurd how uh, rapidly they're scoring points. They're 7-5 and five in that span. They have wins over Milwaukee, Philly, Atlanta, and a super impressive win over Miami the other night without Tyrese Halliburton, hanging 144 points on the Heat in that one, just toasting them off the dribble nonstop and getting whatever they wanted. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton looks like one of the best offensive players in the league. We talked a lot about him last week. And seven Pacers players over this 12-game 
game span are averaging double figures. Now, they're god-awful on defense, and they're a god-awful rebounding team, but they're fun to watch, and they're really hard to beat, especially at home with how high-powered their offense is. I have them at number 10 in this week's power rankings. Number 9, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They've won 7 of their last 10 games including wins over Denver, Philly, Toronto, and Atlanta in that span. They have the second-best defense in the league over that span as well. Darius Garland, after getting off to a rough start this year, is finally starting to get into a groove. The main issues with the offense right now are they're only converting spot-up possessions at 0.97 points per possession, which ranks 26th in the league, and that was literally why they went out this summer to get Max Drews and Georges Niang, so that's discouraging. And they're still a below-average team in the short roll, which was the major issue they had offensively in the postseason last year. So offensively, they're still just a little too easy to guard, uh, but the defense is starting to click. Darius Garland's starting to get it going. A lot of encouraging uh, trends there from Cleveland. So our next tier, this is the next five teams on this list. These are the very good teams. These are the teams that are having good regular seasons. They look good more often than not, but they haven't quite been as dominant as the teams at the top of the league, and they're all poised to go on runs as long as they can have a stretch of good health, which has been an issue for just about every team in the league so far here early in the season. Number eight, the Philadelphia 76ers. They did just drop two games in a row without Embiid, but they've hit a super difficult phase of their schedule, and they've actually fared pretty well. Their last 11 games, Indy, Indy, Boston, Atlanta, Brooklyn, who's actually kind of feisty, Cleveland, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Lakers, the Pelicans, and the Celtics. So uh, just a ringer of an 11-game stretch. They only went 5-6, and six, but they went 5-3 and three when Embiid played over that stretch. And what did I tell you guys all the time about like the good and bad stretches of teams, right? Like the good teams, when they face a tough stretch of their schedule, if you go 5-3, and three, that's awesome, in my opinion, especially when you're playing a great team, a good-to-great team every single night, right? Uh, they are fourth in offense over that span. Special shout out to DeAnthony Melton. He's always been an excellent point of attack defender, but he's giving them consistent scoring production over this stretch, 17 points per game on 44% from three on seven attempts. He kind of like reminds me of Contavious Caldwell-Pope for this team. He's less of like an off-screen shooter and more of like an off-the-dribble type of guy, but he reminds me of KCP in the sense that he's like just this really dependable, above-average starter that like is, in my opinion, almost a hallmark of an NBA champion type. Type of team is you look at it there's always stars there's guys uh, off the bench that play big roles but they always have like above average starters in those spots like kind of like KCP and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon last year for the Denver Nuggets number seven the Oklahoma City Thunder they are 10 and three in their last 13 games over that span they beat Atlanta Cleveland Phoenix Golden State twice the Lakers and the Mavs they've been the best defense in the league over their last 13 games. and then, But here's the thing, like we've been talking about all season, all three of the losses over that 13-game span were against bully ball front lines. The Minnesota Timberwolves, the Philadelphia 76ers, and Sacramento with Sabonis, who obviously plays a power game underneath the basket. They did get a win over a power front line in the Lakers, albeit undermanned at the end of a long road trip, uh, but that's kind of the secret sauce for them. They have to get out and run against those bigger teams as much as possible. They have to be more scrappy in the half court. They have to double and rotate uh, better than they have been, and they have to rebound better than they have been. But I, I still worry about the Thunder in the big picture until they really get a until they bolster that front line with a real forward. And I mean, like someone in that six eight to six ten range that's a freak athlete that can help control the defensive glass and help Chet anchor that defensive interior. Until they get that, I, I won't really take them seriously as a top tier contender. But in terms of like based on the matchups, they can beat. Just about anybody else in the league that doesn't have that massive front line because of the huge combination of just 
just relentless ball handling and passing and, and shooting and point of attack defense and athleticism and motor and they have an awesome home crowd. They 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 basically bring everything to the table except for the ability to beat the power front lines around the league. They um struggle like Chet Holmgren just had a nightmare of a time against uh, uh against Rudy Gobert in that game against Minnesota. It's just clearly a weakness for that particular team. Number six, the Orlando Magic. Now, they've dropped quite a bit, but it's been a weird week. And honestly, all these teams are like smashed up on each other. So don't hyper-focus on who's where in this list because all of them are like this close to each other. And I bumped the Magic down just because it's a weird week. They've uh, played a couple of games against the Wizards. And then they just got absolutely smashed by the Brooklyn Nets on the road. Mikhail Bridges just lit them and lit them on fire from the opening tip of that game. And my theory there is like they had played three straight bad teams. Like they had won nine games in a row, but their last three wins were against Charlotte and Washington twice. And I'm a big believer in like sometimes what'll happen is you play against bad teams and you form bad habits, and then you go play a good team and you get smacked because you're just not quite ready for that speed. Um, so yeah, like I, I bumped them down just because of the the week schedule week and, and them taking that bad loss to Brooklyn, but they're every bit as good as all the teams in this tier. It's just they're all smashed up on each other and we're splitting hairs at this point. They are still second in the Eastern Conference. We are going to find out a lot about the Orlando Magic in the last couple weeks, or in the next couple weeks. This is their upcoming schedule. Cavs, Pistons, Cavs, Celtics, Celtics, Heat, Bucks, Pacers. They come home for the Sixers and the Knicks. Then they go on a four-game West Coast road trip where they play the Suns, the Warriors, the Kings, and the Nuggets. So by the end of by like mid-January, mid-late January, we're gonna have a much better idea of just how real of a threat the Magic are for a potential playoff run. Number five, the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray came back from one game and then immediately tweaked his ankle and missed the next two. So that's kind of a bummer because the, without Jamal Murray, they just don't really quite have the overall offensive firepower that they need to match up um, uh, with everything else they bring to the table, right? Despite that, they've won four out of five. They beat the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Suns. And Reggie Jackson, again, just a pro, man. And like last year, the fit was weird, but... This year, like I, I think just having a full training camp and getting all these reps with Jokic as Jamal Murray's been out in this five-game span, he's averaging 22 points and seven assists per game on 63% from the field and 54% from three. And I like that they're taking it slow with Jamal. Only thing that's going to be a downside there is if he keeps missing time like this, he's not going to make the all-star team, which I know is one of his goals this year. Um, but I still think the Nuggets are far and away the best championship contender in the field right now. I shouldn't say far and away, but I think they're clearly and discernibly better than Boston and everyone else behind them at that point. Number four, the Milwaukee Bucks. They've won nine out of 11. They took a tough loss in Chicago where Caruso hit this like drifting three going to his right that sent it to OT, but they did bounce back and beat Atlanta the other night. They are up to 12th in defense and 10th in defensive rebounding over that 11-game span. Two encouraging trends after their weak start to the season in both of those categories. They have some quality wins in there, too. Uh, Atlanta, Miami, Dallas, and Toronto. Not, no like signature win yet, but they have some uh, quality wins in there. And Giannis has started playing like an MVP again. 31 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 assists on 63% shooting and 3 stocks per game, 3 blocks and steals per game over the last 11. Something to keep an eye on with the Bucks. Chris Middleton still has not logged a single 20-point game this season, obviously operating under a minutes restriction. But in my opinion, him getting back to more or less what he was in 2020 is basically a requirement for this team to be able to win a title. So the last three teams on this list, these are the teams that have been clearly a level above the rest of the field, in my opinion, this year. Uh, one of the teams might not be as obvious in terms of their record, but one, their very best player missed a bunch of time with an ankle injury 
and they have arguably the most impressive uh, list of of quality victories this year. So I lumped them up with this group. But all three of these teams, in my opinion, have demonstrated dominance over the course of this regular season in a sense that it just on a night-in, night-out basis, you just feel like they're getting a great punch from them and you feel like they can beat anybody and you feel like they have the top-end firepower to outplay any stars in the league. Number three, the Sacramento Kings. Now, they took this weird loss to the Clippers. They had this wild comeback win. Malik Monks hits a game winner against the Warriors. It was like this kind of frenetic comeback, right? They had to play the Clippers the very next night, and they ended up losing that game. Uh, a Clippers team that's been pretty bad since the Harden trade, right? So uh, I don't overlook too much of that, or I, I should I should say that I I don't look too I don't look too much into that. But they did bounce back. They beat Denver, and then they beat Minnesota the previous Friday. So they have a couple of really quality wins sandwiching that. They're seven and two this year against teams that are five hundred or better, which is awesome. And the crazy part is they're doing it with the dirty work. They are up to fifteenth in defense over their last twelve games. That doesn't sound like Sacramento Kings, does it? First in defensive rebounding over that span. So they're just cleaning up all of the dirty work right now. And then De'Aaron Fox is still outplaying most of the stars in the league on any given night. Uh, the Kings are actually 9-4 and four when De'Aaron Fox plays. So that's kind of what I meant. Like the, they're, uh, They have seven losses, but three of those losses were when De'Aaron Fox didn't play. So I, don't, I, I, I think that that specifically is – it's kind of like when the, the, the um, Sixers dropped three games over their last 11 when Embiid didn't play. Like he – De'Aaron Fox is on that caliber now where when he's out, like it's just a significant loss to that particular team. Number two, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They had a disappointing loss in an in-season tournament game to the Kings, but again, like the Kings have been doing that this year, just like going in on the road to really good teams and just kicking their ass. It's been kind of one of their, uh, part of their brand this year, so to speak. But the uh, Timberwolves did bounce back and won four straight after that, most impressively beating the Thunder. Uh, the other night in a game where Rudy Gobert did an absolute number on Chet Holmgren, held him to like six for 20 shooting, had a couple wild defensive possessions there. Getting a lot of contributions from guys down the roster. Nas Reed and Troy Brown Jr. both hit big shots in that game. This team has a lot of like down the roster consistency in terms of effort and execution. Like they were able to beat Charlotte the other night without Anthony Edwards, same type of deal. Like this team is still the best defense in basketball. And you can just tell from the from the top down, from day one of training camp, they've been just so locked in on all of those details. It extends down the roster. They've been a juggernaut so far this year. And it's just a great example of how defense still wins in the NBA. Uh, the two best teams in the league have been the Celtics and the Timberwolves. The two best defenses in the league have been the Celtics and the Timberwolves. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. In my opinion, still, it is the best way to win regular season games in the NBA because your effort travels. It's the most consistent thing in like you, it is way easier to be a consistent defense than a consistent offense because consistent offense depends on shot results so much. But defense is an effort and uh, effort and communication and focus thing. And as long as you bring those pieces every single night, you can win in the in the NBA regular season. Um, but yeah, like on the strength of that defense and the leap from Anthony Edwards contributions down the bench, Carl Towns has been a a a like a revelation this year in the sense that I thought he was kind of the odd man out, the guy that would probably end up getting traded at the deadline and he's been so good in help defense and so good on the defensive glass and so efficient on offense playing next to Anthony Edwards that like now it just looks like he's a natural fit there and so a lot of really exciting things from the Timberwolves here early in the season I have them at number 2 in the power rankings and then number 1 the Boston Celtics another undefeated week 3-0 since Kristaps Porzingis went down with his calf injury which is uh, encouraging and and there was a report that came out today that he's planning on playing in the semifinals should the Celtics beat the Pacers tonight so that's good 
Um, the Celtics are now the second most... This is a crazy stat that I came across this morning. And let me just frame it like this, actually. Last year, the Celtics were 21st in points generated out of the post per game. They generated just 4.5 points per game out of the post last year. They were also 16th in the NBA in efficiency. So they were 21st in volume, 16th in efficiency. There's your frame from last year. This year, they are second in producing points out of the post per game, second only to Denver, and they are second in efficiency, scoring 1.15 points per post up, including passes. Big part of it has been Chris Ops Porzingis, obviously coming in. He's just been ridiculously good out of the post this year. 40 Chris Ops Porzingis post-ups have led to 68 points. That's 1.7 points per possession. That was one of the big things coming over from Washington is he had a great year last year beating switches in particular in the post, but just just Boston needed somebody like that, that when they switched Tatum pick and rolls, another option that they could go to to beat switches, and that's what Kristaps Porzingis has brought to them. And then Tatum as well. Tatum has been about twice as productive in terms of volume uh, uh, compared to last year uh, producing points out of the post. And so between that, they've added a legitimate post-up attack to their game and something that really wasn't a part of their offense in years past. So the Boston Celtics, two weeks in a row at number one. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. All right, moving on to our mailbag. First question. 
Jason, you're always so good at looking at the big picture stuff with basketball, not overreacting to individual games. I was wondering if there ever was a if there was ever a time where you would overreact to big losses like the Lakers just had, and if so, how you learned to be more patient. This is coming from a Warriors fan who has who was devastated after the Kings loss, but is now over the moon after the Clippers win. So here's the thing: I uh, when I was younger, I had the same feeling. Like I remember when I was like a teenager, late teenager. Like I would overreact to every single win and loss. You know what I mean? And it, it's kind of been like a steady decline from there. It really, you know, it's funny because I had this like, uh, I have this like, uh, somebody pitched this theory to me the other day and I found it was really interesting. A theory having to do with age. Essentially like every year of your life is a smaller amount of your life proportionally as you get older. And so that's why it feels like time goes by faster because like if you're 20 and a year goes by, it's roughly what? 5% of your life, right? But if you're 40 and a year goes by, it's two and a half percent of your life, right? And so essentially it just feels like it goes by faster. And that's kind of like the the thing that's happened to me over the years with the NBA is like, the, the more NBA seasons that I've covered, the more NBA seasons that I've followed very closely as a fan, the more things I've seen, and it all just starts to feel smaller by perspective. And beyond that, we've just seen so many trends of, of the regular season games not mattering all that much in both directions with like teams like Sacramento and Memphis last year winning a ton of regular season games and then going out soft in the uh, – relatively soft, I should say, in the playoffs and then – Teams like veteran, older veteran teams struggling in the regular season and then succeeding when they get to the playoffs. I do think it's tough because uh, there is a lot of NBA history that shows that you'd rather be dominant. And a lot of times it is a, don, a dominant regular season team that ends up winning the title. But at the end of the day, like I think especially in this day and age with load management and how much more you know cautious teams are with injuries, it's more important to look at like if you see a night where your team is fully healthy and they're playing hard and everyone's kind of in a rhythm, but like they still get beat by a better team and there are specific trends you see on the court like, oh, they really struggle with this or oh, they really struggle with that. Make a mental note of it. But like specific regular season results, it's like, who cares? Like I, I guarantee you there are a lot of Warriors fans that are freaking out about this Clippers loss the other night. I watched that entire game and I was hanging out at my parents' house actually. I went to go see them on Sunday and uh uh or on I guess it was Saturday and I sat down and watched that game and like I thought the Warriors played great you know what happened like the Clippers for all of their issues they have some really good players and so they are capable of going on runs and like they just made tough shot after tough shot at the end of that game and they got big stops and you know like I thought the, the look Draymond Green got out of the corner is not a bad look. Kawhi Leonard's one of the best individual defenders in the world. It's not easy to get separation against him in, in terms of what happened with Steph on that possession. And so like my thing is like the Warriors have played a lot of good basketball in the last week between going up big on the, the Kings and going up big on the Clippers and getting the big win over the Clippers a few days before. Like it's been a lot of good with some bad. And so I don't think it makes a ton of sense to overreact to to singular results like that when obviously we already knew the the Warriors needed to make some sort of trade at the deadline to upgrade at that forward spot. It's been something we've been talking about ever since the Lakers series, right? So like what really have we seen this year from the Warriors that is deeply concerning, right? Like Draymond's better than he was last year. Steph is Steph. Like Clay Thompson's been an issue, yeah, and that's something that if uh, although he's been playing better as of late, but if that becomes an issue in the long run, yeah, like maybe it's something they'll have to uh, to do something about. But I even think that bringing in that type of forward slots 
Clay Thompson better and, and makes that sort of thing easier. Pazemski's been incredible. It's been a godsend for that team. So, like, again, I just I don't really think it's worth it yet to have any sort of sweeping declaration about any team, right? And in general, like, you have you heard the expression, cooler heads prevail? That's kind of the way that I feel like we should all act as fans during the NBA regular season. Like, after a big win... Talk yourself down from it. After a big loss, talk yourself up from it. Try to stay even keel because that 82 can be ridiculous. Schedule losses are a huge part of it. There were so many schedule losses last week. Like the uh, uh, the Clippers beat the shit out of the Kings one night after they had this super emotional comeback win versus the Warriors. The, the Lakers got shellacked on the tail end of a back-to-back in Oklahoma City. The uh, I think it ended up being the Warriors beating the Clippers on the second night of a back-to-back. Like there's, The schedule plays a big role. There's so many different things that can manipulate regular season results. And so in general, just try to pay attention to the basketball and pay attention to specific trends taking place on the court. Next question. Thanks for all your analysis on games and teams. I believe that Wemby is the real deal. What do you think is the next step in the Spurs process? Couple things. They absolutely have to, have to, have to get higher quality ball handling. All of the ball handling with San Antonio this year has been uh, has left a lot to be desired. As a fan, it's been really hard to watch San Antonio because of their process. They are fourth in turnovers. Excuse me, they have the fourth most turnovers per 100 possessions. They have the sixth worst pick and roll offense in the league right now. And they're the fourth worst spot up team in the league. So ball handling is a big part of it. Just decision making, getting Wemby in better spots and getting everybody in better spots. And then off ball shooting obviously is a big part of just the spacing going on around there. Um, but I think that's going to be something that they target after this off se- or this particular offseason because this year in particular has been a nightmare. Next question. As a fan of the show, I've heard you talk many times about how you believe young players can't be winning pieces coming to the later rounds of the playoffs. I agree with this take, but as a Warriors fan, I'm hoping Brandon Pazemski can be an exception in a limited role. Do you think this has some merit, or is it just my fan bias kicking in? Thanks, love the show. Off the bench, I think it's totally fine. It's like I've been talking about this with Lakers fans. Like, Can Cam Reddish or Max Christie contribute for the Lakers in the playoffs? Maybe off the bench. But I think if they're starting for you, if you're leaning on them for 30-something minutes a night, that's where it can become an issue. And so I think for a guy like Pazemski, who's clearly in in a bench role, I don't think it's ridiculous to think that he can contribute in smaller minutes. So like Christian Brown contributed in in smaller minutes for for the Nuggets last year in the postseason, right? So like, again, this is all... Uh, the, to me, in the in those bench roles, it's not as big of a deal. It's like I'm more talking about like starting lineup or like sixth man, heavy heavy usage. Like that's that's where I start to worry about a, a player's age in the late rounds of the playoffs. Next question: Why is Victor not the defensive player of the year so far? He's the league leader in stocks, historic and absurd block rate, and he's asked to guard one through five. Teams are literally avoiding taking shots around him, and the Spurs have zero capable defenders with him. It's really simple. They haven't won enough games, and the defensive rating with him on the floor hasn't been that great. I think it's like right around like 115 or something like that, which is like good considering the personnel around him, but not that great, right? And that has literally nothing to do with Victor. It's just, to me, that award kind of associates or generally gets kind of directed towards a winning player in a winning situation. So I don't think it's a problem because Victor's going to get, I'm sure Victor will win several of them in his career. I just don't think he's going to get them this year. Next question. Do you think the Lakers should have LeBron run point? <laughs> so 
Uh, the the whole expression like run point or this team needs a point guard to me doesn't really mean anything. It's just there's offensive initiators and playmaking finishers, right? Or or play finishers, I should say, right? And so every team has multiple of them, right? And like right now, I do think it's a little convoluted with the Lakers between D'Lo and Austin and LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I do think they're going to end up consolidating that by getting rid of D'Angelo Russell at the deadline, which will simplify that process to Austin, LeBron, and Anthony Davis and. You know, if the, if there is a player that comes back in that deal, like let's say it's a Jeremy Grant or a Laurie Markkinen or somebody like that, if they end up getting a, a player like that that can score, they're going to be scoring more in like ISO post up situations rather than pick and roll. So I think it actually will fit in more cleanly with the way that that team plays. And so again, like, do I think LeBron should take more control over the offense? I mean, yeah, but I, I feel like he has, especially in crunch time, and he's been awesome in those situations. So like to me. Given what the regular season is, uh, you're just trying to get through the 82 games. I honestly think the way they've been doing things is fine uh, from the standpoint of like a, a delineation of responsibilities, understanding that you have all these guards and, and like you have to play D'Angelo Russell until whatever time comes in the future where you decide to trade him, right? Uh, my only concern really has just been offensive organization. Like the, we talked about this at till, at length, so I won't get into it right now. But stuff like the the five out offense versus cleared side post ups and, and and cleared side isos and and that sort of thing. I, I did notice in the Rockets game. Um, if you guys remember, I did a breakdown after the Thunder game about different things the Lakers should be doing in the post, specifically cleared side post ups for AD on the left side of the floor. We can get to his right hand, and they ran. I want to say, I can't remember the exact number of post-ups, but they were 1.5 points per possession against the Rockets when AD posted up on the left block where he could get to his right hand. And then it was 0.8 points per possession on center and right block post-ups, which I thought was a strong indicator of that theory. It's just easier for Anthony Davis to read the floor and to get to his strong hand from the left side. And then LeBron um, ran, I think, uh, six. Or no, he ran eight post-ups in that game. And either scored, passed to his score, or drew a foul on six of his eight post-ups, most of them out of that left block where he's most successful. So I thought that was an encouraging sign for the Lakers as well. Next question. For some reason, Ty Lue has a reputation as a good coach. Is that really justified? What has he done to earn it? If the Clippers' flow is so bad on offense relative to their skill, wouldn't it be good to have a coach do something about that? Ditto defense. Do I agree with everything Ty Lue's done? Not particularly. Like, he's a little... Oh. So, here's the thing. Ty Lue's reputation... Or, Ty Lue's, Ty Lue's brand, I should say, as a coach, is he's big on... He's big on uh, um, uh, switching defense, small lineups, and he has excellent spacing principles. Meaning, like, he is probably one of the better top two or three driving kick coaches in the league. And what I mean by that is like he's just he empowers his players to work in a spread floor and beat people off the dribble and play kind of freely from there. It's 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 brute force, but in a way that I think makes sense for the personnel that they have. The problem is is as they've gotten really small in this time post Harden trade, it's the the uh, all the switching and the going small like taking Zubak out of the lineup as as put them into some precarious uh, situations. Uh, the, no, the numbers haven't updated since the last game, but or I, I haven't checked the updated numbers, I should say. But they were giving up an offensive rebound on almost half of opponent shot attempts uh, in crunch time since the Harden trade. That's like a huge problem in my opinion. So some of this thing is like a couple things. Um, is Ty Lue responsible for the offensive issues that they're having since Harden trade? In my opinion, no, just because it's just hard for a bunch of stars to learn how to play together. Also, there's so many egos in that room that they're going to kind of do their own thing in, in a lot of ways there, right? So, like, I try not to blame too much of that on the coach. Uh, it's, like, it's like when Lakers fans blame Frank Vogel for offensive organization when it was a LeBron, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis team. And I wanted to be like, 
Like, you think Frank is telling LeBron how to play offense? Like, those dudes are figuring it out on their own, and that's kind of what I think is happening with the Clippers. But that said, the uh, some of their defensive principles and some of their lineup decisions that they've had post the Harden trade don't really match with the personnel. But it, it, we just have to see how it goes in the long run because, to me, the, the, the hallmark of a coach is how he responds to changes in personnel. You know, because that's the thing is every coach has, like, their kind of overarching belief system, right? But then you change personnel around that. And so, like, you kind of can't just inflict your belief on the personnel. You have to tweak your, your you know, kind of beliefs and system to your personnel, if that makes sense. Next question. How do you beat Denver? Also, do you think any roster in the league can consistently beat Denver in a series? As a Celtics fan watching the Nuggets, I just can't seem to find a way Denver loses if they're healthy. So, Denver's the best team, in my opinion, which means, like, there is no team that can consistently beat them in a series, in my opinion. There are uh, there's two different ways to beat them, and if I if I was like trying to construct a basketball team to beat Denver, there's two different routes that I would I would look at. One is like spread them the hell out with five guys that can all dribble, shoot, and pass, and drive and kick them to death, so you can take adv- advantage of some of their limited defensive personnel. Team like Boston comes to mind as a team that could do that. Also, they just have a lot of rotation athleticism to be able to kind of fly around as they're working around the Jokic problem on the offensive end of the floor, right? The other two teams I look at are Miami and the Lakers. And the reason why I look at these particular teams is Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo, in theory, if they are surrounded by the appropriate amount of athleticism, can uh, uh, can give Jokic and Murray problems, right? And the Lakers had no success with that last year. That was a big problem for them. But I think like for both of those teams, for both Miami and the Lakers, they need to make a trade to kind of successfully unleash that. I like with Miami, the Jimmy Butler-Bam at a bio combination and their ability to guard the Jokic-Murray two-man game. If you guys remember in the NBA Finals, in game two, those two guys did an amazing job and did a good job slowing down Denver in that win, right? And so with Miami, they need more offensive firepower. So they need to make a trade to bring in enough firepower to to outscore Denver on the other end, right? For the Lakers, it's that one more... It's the guy that's like... Because the problem is with Rui Hachimura, with Jared Vanderbilt, with Torian Prince, all those guys, Max Christie, Cam Reddish, they all have gaping flaws in, the, in, in with in, with respect to their ability to be in the starting lineup, right? Like Cam Reddish, Jared Vanderbilt, and Max Christie, it's can they be consistent enough offensively, right? And then uh, uh, Rui Hachimura and, and Torian Prince is are they athletic enough to kind of contend on the perimeter defensively, right? Like Rui's a good help defender, good rebounder, good post-up defender, good ISO defender, but he really struggles to navigate screens, right? And so all of those guys kind of have flaws. If they could bring in a Jeremy Grant or one of the Toronto Raptors forwards or a Laurie Markkinen or a Dorian Finney-Smith, a, a real dynamic starter caliber forward that's next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I think they'd have a better chance. But specifically, the LeBron AD front line and the Bam Jimmy front line, I think are two front lines that, if they were surrounded by enough talent, could give Jokic and Murray some issues. But I'd put the Celtics at the top of that list for for right now with their ability to spread them out and drive and kick them to death. Next question. What I don't understand is that it took a small sample size of good basketball for Austin Reeves to get hyped into a big contract. How come a small sample size of bad basketball isn't enough for someone to change their minds? He had a decent playoffs and a couple of good FIBA games, yet people act as though he's been awesome for years and is just slumping for a few games. We've seen players in the past have a good season or two. If given the opportunity, tons of players would do it. 
Wow, I disagree with this. <laughs> if given the opportunity, tons of players could do what Austin Reeves does, but they don't have the opportunity. He's average at best, and he's not better than D'Angelo Russell. What are we even talking about? Wow, I don't think I could possibly disagree more with this comment. Uh, let me just, this is all I'm going to do for this segment. I'm just going to give you guys the real sample sizes here. 27 regular season games. 27. Regular season games. After Russell Westbrook was traded away from the Lakers, Austin averaged 17 points and 5 assists on over 70% true shooting. 16 playoff games. Austin Reeves averaged 17 points and 5 assists on over 60% true shooting, and he had 8 20-point games. He played 13 games with FIBA alongside a ton of talent and averaged 13 points per game on 77% true shooting. 78% in effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jumpers, 61% in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers, and 73% at the rim. That's how good he was at FIBA. Guys, that is a 56-game sample size of him being awesome. Not, like, good. Not even, like, great. Like, awesome. That's awesome contribution in, like, high-leverage games. That's, like... A playoff run in the NBA, right? The end of that regular season last year, every game was wildly important because they were trying to uh, scrap and claw their way into a playoff spot. And then literally for the World Cup of basketball. Like, it doesn't get much more high leverage than that. And for 56 games, he was awesome. And you guys are ready to call him a bum because he's been playing at a slightly lower level for 21 regular season games. 21. 21 to 56. That's the comparison of sample size. That's barely a third of the sample sizes of him being awesome. And this 21 regular season game sample, 14 points, five rebounds, five assists on 58% true shooting, which is good. It's certainly not as good as he used to be, but he's good. So like, again, the like Austin Reeves for a long extended period in high leverage games was awesome. So I am not going to jump off the Austin Reeves bandwagon after 21 regular season games when the Lakers were down most of their athleticism, which was a big part of why they were losing, and made everything harder on everybody else. All of a sudden, Austin is getting slotted on more difficult perimeter defense assignments, right? All of a sudden, just in general, the team doesn't have as much downhill rim pressure without the athleticism, which makes it harder on the perimeter initiators. In general, it's been a weird season, and he's still been pretty good. But like, yeah, stop Stop saying he was barely good last year. Stop saying he only did it for a few games. He didn't. For 56 games, he was awesome in a bunch of different circumstances. Like, And for, for two years before that, he was a quality role player working primarily off the ball. Like this is not, this is not, I, in my opinion, it's far more ridiculous to overreact to the 21 regular season games this year. Last question. Hi, Jason. How come the Timberwolves are better this year than last year? Last year, they had a stagnant offense, no spacing. Now they're cooking. There wasn't any offseason moves, so what's different? A couple things. First of all, I thought the Timberwolves were one of the better teams down the stretch of the regular season last year. I was super impressed by their defense and physicality, how, how hard they played. They had kind of like a, a weird offense in the sense that like it's a little clunky, it's a, the spacing is tough, but at the same time, they have a lot of different guys that can attack matchups in different ways. 
And so a couple things. They've ridden that defensive wave into this season. I predicted they'd be a top five defense this year. They ended up being the best defense this year. So it's just been a kind of like a more dynamic version of that, right? And then Anthony Edwards has gone up a level, starting from that awesome playoff series against the Nuggets where I thought he played really well to being the best player on the team at FIBA. And then coming into this season, his playmaking has gone up a level. His career high, 26 points per game. So just Anthony Edwards going up a level. Carl Towns buying in defensively and on the glass, which has helped anchor that lineup and made it so that that lineup makes more sense, right? In general, the whole team committing to the defensive end from day one of training camp. Those are kind of like the three things that are driving it, in my opinion. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. My picks for tonight, I'm going to go with the Celtics to beat the Pacers on the road. The uh, Pelicans have had the Kings number. The Kings have won, what, 10 of their last 13 games, I think, if I remember correctly. And two of those three losses were against the Pelicans, uh, two games in New Orleans where Zion Williamson uh, sliced and diced them. So a couple things. I'm going to go with the Kings just because I think this third time through, they should be able to schematically adjust for the Zion Williamson problem. And then at home in a high leverage game like this, I just think they're the better team and I think they'll get it done. So Kings to beat the Pelicans and the Celtics to beat the Pacers. That's all I have for today, guys. We'll be back tomorrow morning to break down those two games. Don't forget also tonight, watch playback for... Indiana, Boston. You can find that link on my Twitter feed. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 